Jesus. And uh, in not too short a time, we'll get kicked off uh, with the webinar itself. Just a quick reminder to some of the new people who have just joined us. Um, that it is an interactive session. So if you've got some questions that you want to put forward to our panelists, then you're more than welcome to do so. There is a Q&A box um, that you should be able to see. I think it's on the right-hand side for you guys. Um, you just pop in your question there or your comments and we'll be able to um, get to those during the session if we have time. And if we don't have time, then we will um, follow up with everybody afterwards as well. So do feel free to make comments, add add whatever questions that you might have for our panelists or for myself um, and we'll get to those during the session as well. So a big flood of people just joining right now. Just give it another few seconds and we can get kicked off. Stanley, I'm Founder and Managing Director of Appetite Creative Solutions. I'm really excited to welcome you all here. So a big welcome to everybody who is joining us today. This is our fifth webinar in our series where we're looking at the future of marketing and advertising. We started this webinar series in April in the midst of the crazy lockdown and we really wanted to look at different ways that industries were being impacted and how businesses can actually get ahead in these confusing times full of massive change um, and large impact. Um, we've been doing one every single month and today's webinar is really looking at the farmer industry and COVID-19, looking at really how the pandemic has pushed the sector into digital in a way that perhaps it needed, um, but also that comes with huge challenges. So we've got healthcare professionals notoriously hard to reach, um, but now if we have an inability even to have in-person visits, then what's next for this sector and how are we able to overcome that? Today's webinar will be broken into two parts. Our first session, I will be joined by Mauricio Campos Suarez. He's head of digital for the CE region at Novartis and Rosalind Robertson, and she is Remote Engagement Specialist, and she spent the last 17 years at pharmaceutical company MSD. We're going to be looking together at how COVID has made a greater impact on pharma, um, and how we're looking to address some of those changes, both in the audience itself, and obviously the methods in which we are able to communicate with those audiences. Um, we want to look at well how to ensure that your sales teams, that your digital teams, that your people on the ground have the confidence and the right tools to create successful engagements um, in this new remote world. The second part is then to look at other digital perspectives and we'll be joined by Arpa Tapani. She is digital and multi-channel strategic consultant at Ferric. I've got lots of mouthfuls today. And Sen Boyasi, and she is head of content marketing at EMJ. European Medical Journey, uh, Journal. And we will be discussing how audiences have changed in the last few years, 
um, both um, in the pharmaceutical industry as a, a digital publisher and also from a brand's perspective. And then what impact COVID-19 has had on that and the adaptions um, that these brands have been having to make based on these new changes that are really coming, um, coming really in the last few months without any forewarning. So first I shall move um, to our first set of panellists, Mauricio and Rosalind. So a big, big welcome to you both. Thank you very much for joining us um, on today's webinar. Um, my first question is to you, Mauricio. With the COVID shift, we know obviously it's harder to get that kind of face-to-face -face time in front of um, HCPs, but how have your teams been coping with this change? Oh, Mauricio, have we lost you? Maybe I'll move to you, Rosalind, uh, while we find where Mauricio is. Rosalind, I mean, you've been spending the last few months literally dedicating to digital teams and making sure that they've got the ability to be able to work in this new environment. Um, tell us, Rosalind, how, how have you been spending your time? Tell us about those projects. Uh, thanks, Jenny. Yes, so I've spent the last few months freelancing um, and specialising in remote engagement training. And I guess there are three key areas that I've been focusing on with different sales teams. And they start off with change management, which is really important. So really understanding how sales teams are feeling about this shift to remote engagement. We know that there are sales teams out there that have been engaging remotely with customers um, I guess at times, um, but now we're seeing this shift towards remote engagement being the key way to contact our customers from a sales perspective. Um, so we look at the change in mindsets, helping people to understand how their feelings and emotions can result in behaviours, which in turn can impact the customer negatively or positively. So really trying to understand that they think about the facts and the evidence to support remote engagement as an opportunity and, and maybe not feel quite as nervous and apprehensive. We also look at um, the importance of how to secure a remote call. So our customers are obviously well aware of what to expect when we book a face-to-face -face meeting, um, but we need to be a little bit clearer on what's going to happen with an online engagement. So we need to make sure that we keep our discussions simple and jargon-free when enabling the customer to understand what's going to happen. And then finally, we focus on the in-call behaviours. So it's important to get across to the sales teams that all the behaviours that they currently operate towards in a face-to-face -face setting in terms of their selling frameworks um, are exactly the same. They're necessary for the remote engagement. But also, how do we make sure that we grab that customer's attention instantly um, and maintain that throughout the call? So we look at some of the top tips and advice that we can use there as well. Oh, really interesting. Lots, lots, lots of different things to be focusing on. Um, Marisha, we found you. Good. Glad. Glad to have you back. Um, I mean, Ros was just talking about some really interesting points there of, of, of what you know she's been working with with sales teams on. Um, how have your teams been finding the impact of COVID and um, the change to digital? How how have they been been able to cope? You know, thank you for the question and. 
in a way, it's a, a challenge and an opportunity, right? Uh, I think that in, in a few months, we have achieved things that will have taken years, right, in, in traditional environments. And reality is that force us to think digitally because there is no other option. And I think that, you know, those crises that really lead the way uh, to really transform the, the healthcare industry in, uh, as a whole, uh, because it's not only pharma, but I think that also when we look into telemedicine as well, in how fast that can evolve because even from the policymakers as well. So I think that together is opening the door for the industry to really transform deeply in ways that we have been talking for years. Right? I think that for decades we have been talking about digital transformation, but now COVID has forced us uh, to make it a reality. For, for us, uh, it has to do also with the quality of, of the engagement that now with this tsunami of digital interaction that we have, um, the quality is the most important thing. Uh, and, and that's where you know, we are really able to provide more quality of value to, to our HCPs. Uh, um, and hopefully together you know, with, uh, as an industry, right, we can really raise the bar uh, and really uh, bring that um, you know, value uh, to, in terms of medical education and even patient as well uh, in the terms of you know, how many people need to stay at home right now uh, due to the fact of the risk that they can run going to clinics and how we can also provide uh, value through services that can bridge the gap that traditionally pharma engagement had in the past to more advanced ways to interact not only with HCP but also with patient uh, as providing value for, for the treatment. Mm. Mm. I mean, when you talk about um, the quality, I guess a lot of the time, um, because it is hard to get time in front of HCPs, you're probably, you know, catching somebody on the way to something and they're already kind of looking at their watch and they've already got 101 other things to do. Would it be fair to say that if you set a specific time with somebody, if they turn up, then you get a bit more of a, a, a dedicated time with them? Or is, is that wishful thinking? Yes, and that basically is the traditional way as well to, to look at it. You are totally right. The traditional way, I remember doing co-visit in some of the market with reps going to a hospital, knocking every single door, trying to find a doctor, sometimes stepping in even with patient in there having a conversation about anything unrelated, but then like two minutes on the real topic and really very narrow time for really quality attention, right? Versus appointing a time where really that deep engagement can happen. On top of that, we also have the the pull from the HCP that start to happen, not only the push, pushing them to have time with us, but also the pull whenever they need it and making that in a way that is meaningful, valuable information at the time they need it, rather than us as pharma company pushing all the time uh, at potentially times that are not uh, really the, the right time for them. So potentially providing this omni-channel approach in a meaningful way, I think is the key uh, because that omni-channel give the different preferences of the different HCP the opportunity to engage through the channel that is really meaningful for them and at the time they need that information in different level of granularity uh, and of course the the push will will not uh, completely stop but i think that will complement with the pull approach that also create a, in my opinion a more uh, valuable uh, interaction and engagement absolutely um what about i mean you've got 32 countries i think um, until your remit, that's, that's quite a lot, <laughs> quite a lot of different things to handle there. But is there, is there particular differences? Have you found that some countries have been quicker to adapt or easier to adapt? Are there some differences there? 
Yes, definitely there are cultural differences, especially if we look for Eastern Europe versus Western Europe or, or think that, you know, Colin has shared from what Latin America is doing or Asia is doing, right? I think that definitely there are uh, cultural differences, different speed, but I think that across the board, we have seen that, you know, uh, call for really having the engagement. I think that something common that I have seen in many also studies that has been out from the COVID time, that the interest is there on quality engagement and quality information from pharma. HCP are demanding that, they are expecting that from pharma. So I think that, you know, that's where it comes to the point where uh, the traditional uh, promotion only kind of reminding the promotional message is not enough. It's yeah. more about uh, quality scientific information uh, and education that it's going to make the big difference. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Ros, if we look at challenges, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges and you talked about some things that you look at, but what is the biggest challenge that sales teams generally face? I think there are two elements, um, to be honest, Jenny. I think the first one is actually securing that remote call. Um, And there can be a range of challenges involved in that. So depending on um, an organization's uh, consent for communication process, that might mean that actually you're relying heavily on being able to telephone the customer, have that permission, and then maybe gain permission afterwards in order to send an approved email or indeed then to set up the remote call. So that's a big challenge in the first place that um, the marketing teams and head office teams can really support with and then it obviously comes down to the individual representative um, to really think about how they approach the gatekeepers and the customers and I think the second point around challenges is really to help sales teams maintain their confidence particularly if they've had a bad experience so maybe if a call hasn't gone quite so well and they feel a little bit exposed and vulnerable we need to make sure there's a really robust coaching um, support team in pro you know in place, exactly the same as a first-line sales manager would do generally on a face-to-face field visit. So I feel that's really critical. The coaching and ongoing training and support uh, really means that people will feel fully confident and competent to deliver high-quality, valuable calls. Yeah, I think there's quite a lot in that where we kind of forget that just because it's a digital thing, um, it doesn't it doesn't really count. But it does count. And obviously, yeah, you 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 know, your sales manager would come in and speak to you if you had a really bad time and talk about why that happened. And maybe on digital, it's harder to have that interaction. Um, that that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's important that we try and you know ensure that in some calls, a sales manager can actually join the remote call as well and able to provide that coaching opportunity and if if the customer is not happy for that to happen then at least to be able to do some virtual coaching afterwards yeah that's some really good points Mauricio what about your teams what's kind of the biggest challenge um, that that your teams face is it the same or is there there something else definitely resonate with roughly just share I think that coaching is a key element. Um, reality is that we are not seeing so much of that happening. And I think that is definitely a mindset shift. Uh, and sometimes we also need to be conscious that, you know, even FLMs that has done a first line manager, a great job in the traditional pre-COVID time in terms of traditional uh, interaction, might not feel so comfortable in the digital world and might be one of the reasons why we don't see so much of that coaching going on. And I think that is a key element on upskilling and helping them to train themselves on, on this new digital set of skills that are going to allow that uh, engagement. So definitely agree. Uh, 
skill set and mindset, uh, not only at the field level, but even uh, from the manager's perspective, is a key element. Uh, and, and that's go all the way up, right? I think that also an area that uh, I'm looking close to, to also work uh, together with the leadership teams in, in the market, just to, to upskill as well in terms of mindset, uh, because the tone of the top uh, is super important when it comes to really making a shift. Uh, if your leaders truly believe that it's going to be impactful, truly understand the, the value of this, that makes the big difference uh, when it comes to, to execution as well from, from the field. Definitely. I mean, mindset really affects everything as well as the, the, the salespeople, right? Being able to embrace this um, as a successful way of being able to engage with their with their customers, with the HCPs, with, with other who they need to speak to. Um, would you say differentiation is, is harder now, Mauricio? I mean, there's a, a huge digital offering available. Um, how, how, you know, what new things have you been trying? How have you been trying to differentiate? Yeah, differentiation, I think that is it's harder than, than ever before in terms of digital uh, right now because of the, the fact that, you know, we, we are all forced to, to really interact digitally uh, because of the reality. Uh, but uh, I think that the key... Uh, not only for, for digital engagement, but also in general on digital informa, the, the key is on value. Uh, and really understanding the customer pain point, customer need, really walking the talk uh, together uh, and really providing things that are more from the customer shoes are the key learning. Uh, in my experience, you know, when we have done like approaches following like a methodology such as uh, Agile uh, or design thinking, really co-creating something that is a prototype that helps us to validate the idea, refining that with the customer insight, and then really um, refining that in something that is meaningful together with them, co-creating that with ACPs, that is what the highest impact come from. It's not about how cool technology or latest technology you can bring to them. Like I've seen tons of examples in the past of virtual reality or Google Glasses or whatever we have tried in the past that potentially are super expensive and exciting for one time try, but reality doesn't build the type of engagement that we are really aiming here. And I think that the, the meaningful interaction happens when you really build something of value for the ATP and patients, whenever uh, is relevant, um, and, and building on that education, right? And, and that scientific content that, that is really our purpose uh, here. Definitely. I always think, I mean, as a, as a company, Appetite Creative are always looking at bringing the newest technologies um, to whatever industry that might be. Um, there is sometimes this uh, push to say, oh, I've heard about virtual reality. I want to do virtual reality. But it's, it's really about being able to make sure that the objectives of what you're trying to achieve really matches with the technology that you're trying to apply. Not just, oh, yeah, but virtual reality sounds great. Let's just do that. Um, so I, I completely agree with that. It's about being able to make sure that it, that it actually achieves what you need it to achieve in the first place before you just go and do it. I mean, we're working on um, virtual receptorships platforms for, for videos for being able to connect people that makes a lot of sense but then just throwing in something because we heard about augmented reality do we want to do that you know it doesn't doesn't always make sense so it's definitely about trying to match match up the objectives and, and what you're trying to achieve fully agree um we've got a question um from the audience um rajesh uh, patel asks um to Mauricio, how is your team um, and company preparing for the EU Commission to launch new pharmaceutical strategy, um, which is due to be adopted in late 2020? Um, I'm not familiar with the with the new commission that that. Uh 
Rushcheck uh, mentioned, but pretty much uh, product launches is a key element, right, for us uh, on terms of digital as well, right? On terms of uh, digital product launches, uh, we are investing a lot of effort how to make it that meaningful as well uh, in a post-COVID or, or in between COVID uh, environment where we do have many product launches coming along. Uh, in a reality that won't potentially be possible or as much as we would like to have face-to-face -face interaction. So it's definitely a new area uh, for all of us uh, and a huge risk, but, but also an opportunity. I think that this opening up again, the, the innovation mindset that sometimes we have been delaying because we were in the past uh, very comfortable uh, approaching the, the way to launch product in the way that we have done for 20 years. Uh, and I think that this is forcing us to think differently and it's, it's a you know, very interesting challenge and, and opportunity for us to rethink the way we do this. Yeah, for example, the EU4 Health programme, um, you know, have you got any new digital innovation or initiatives that are looking particularly to focus on that, for example? Not in particular myself, I don't know. Okay, no, 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 great, great. Thank you for, for questions from the audience, keep them, keep them coming. Um, in terms of, um, Roz, what you're doing in terms of, you know, helping sales forces to really have that mindset that Mauricio talked about, being able to kind of be set up to believe um, that they can have the meaningful engagements that perhaps there might be some doubt. How do you look to, to work around that? What's, what's the strategy there? What's the process? I think it's getting to really explore how they feel about things and why. Um, you know, quite often I hear uh, people say, well, my customers would rather see me face to face um, rather than online. And I think it's exploring something like that and saying, is that accurate? Do we know that? Is it a fact? Is it evidence? And I think when it's you mentioned earlier, you know, we, we do have evidence and research out there to suggest that our customers are, you know, wanting to engage with us remotely. So it's, it's providing facts and research and evidence in order to the sales teams and then helping them to understand just the similarities between the remote call and the face-to-face -face, and then providing the training and support to ensure that they feel competent and confident. Um, I think it is really important to highlight to them that this isn't all about our agenda. You know, we've got this opportunity at the moment to maintain relationships with our customers but it actually a lot of our customers may prefer to engage remotely in the future. And we have to accept that as part of an overall omni-channel campaign, again, as Maritzu said. Um, we really need to think about channel preference and customer preference. So I think that's a big part of helping our sales teams to understand the opportunity that this presents. Marisha, do you have anything to add to that in terms of how you're helping your sales team to kind of adjust to that mindset? And I, I, again, I, I fully agree with Rosalyn. Uh, the preferences of our customer is a key area for us to assess and understand uh, because that means that you're going to engage with them in a more meaningful way whenever uh, is a preference. Uh, plus also that gives us also an indication where we can partner with them just to upskill themselves, right? Uh, and as well as just to, because we also have that insight that many HCPs are willing to, to get more upskill and more train on digital skills just to, to, to train themselves. And that's where we can also partner. So first for how we can interact, what channels are the preference, what is more meaningful for those specific personas on ACPs to interact and also the, the opportunity to, to potentially build those skills together as we build our digital plans, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely. We've got a we've got a question from the audience. Ben Potter says, "Hi all, great panel. How are your businesses navigating the complexities of marketing to HCPs and now direct to consumer as patients are taking more control of their treatment? What's the balance?" Um, Mauricio, I think that one's for you. Well, I, I think it's a key point, right? Uh, patients are, are the center of everything we do, and. The, the patient has to really, you know, the education component is a key, critical part of that, the patient awareness on disease awareness, uh, to becoming more um, aware of what um, they're they doing right now, what's happening to them, and then potentially getting to the right uh, HCP, to the right treatment uh, as soon as possible uh, with the help of the healthcare professional. I, I think that is at the core what we do. And right now, we do see many models uh, on engaging in much more innovative ways than in the past, where telemedicine is becoming also part of that journey, um, and also the patient support programs that can really help them just to deal better uh, after diagnosis. So all the spectrum from uh, pre-diagnosis and awareness uh, through the diagnosis uh, and, and adherence uh, is a critical component of what we do. And, and it's, it's been transformed. Um, also due to the fact that due to COVID, many of our um, markets are accelerating. Uh, they're regulating a, a little bit on the, on the environment of telemedicine that allow us really to to do much more on that. And then uh, from the technology side, <coughs> artificial intelligence is also offering solutions uh, that also allow uh, self-diagnosis uh, and a more meaningful, uh, valuable diagnosis for a patient uh, on before of the consultation that can give some hints also from what's going on for them and to get to the right specialist uh, faster, uh, to get to the right diagnosis faster. Um, Ross, um, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, um, <laughs> but if not, I have a question for you, so feel free uh, to take either either route. Um, I was just wondering um, what your top tips would be. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of different things to be looking at, especially if you're a company that has never really thought about digital, digital interactions, everything was done face-to-face. There's a lot there to look at, and there's so many different things. What's your kind of top tips for, for companies to be able to break that down? I think it's it's really sort of analysing the current situation and, and really thinking about what they want to achieve, you know, from a specific campaign at the moment. And actually, if you're new to digital, keep it simple. Um, you know, choose two or three different digital tactics, if you like. Um, I guess one way to start off would, obviously, we've got the remote engagement and making sure that you've got you know, good solid content for the remote calls, um, but also maybe intertwining that initially with approved emails. Um, that would be my initial thought. Uh, on top of that, then we can start to see some companies have got their own healthcare portals. Um, and then you can start to see how a seamless campaign can be developed. And one of the really important things I think that's developed over the last few years, and we're starting to see come through in pharma, is the use of email and marketing automation. So again, that really helps to support a really seamless campaign. And with email automation, you can start to provide information to customers based on their choices of the emails, for example, that you've sent them in the first place. So hopefully that answers your question, Jenny, a little bit. There's a, there's a few things in there. And, and I think when it comes to actually the sales force, uh, when we're thinking about remote engagement, I think it's really important, again, to be really clear on the objective and be clear to sales forces that this maybe isn't just a stopgap because of COVID-19, 
Remote engagement and remote calls are here to stay as part of the overall digital campaign that we have with our customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, maybe in the in the beginning of um, COVID, we might have thought, oh, this is just a, a few weeks. This is just a quick a quick fix, a temporary piece. But I, I think that you're right. You know, certainly from our perspective, um, we've made changes within our business um, that are going to be long long term changes. Marisha, what's your your view on that? You know, what do you think the balance will be, face to face versus virtual? How much is virtual here to stay? It depends, right? I think that we mentioned already a couple of components that are key, right? The digital preference of the HCPs, um, the ability even to engage, because even re remember that before COVID time, we also have many restrictions to access face-to-face -face HCPs. So that uh, potentially now is going to be also kind of the here to stay. But more important, in my experience, previous COVID, I used to spend every time that I could time on the field, uh, understanding what are the pain from the ATPs, asking them directly. And, and they normally come with two or three things that were top of their head, kind of uh, getting up to date with what the, the latest therapies are, uh, dealing and asking peers for and key opinion leader for difficult cases that they might have, where you know it can be uh, good to have opinion from how they and deal with that uh, from other peers um, and, and kind of the medical education in, in general, right? How do you keep up with their continual medical education? Those normally were the three topics that came up uh, as key need uh, from HCPs. And I think that that for me is the, the key element where we need to engage, helping them on those areas, how to keep up with the education, how to enable uh, those meaningful connections with key opinion leaders and, uh, and patient cases, uh, real uh, evidence of, of how those treatment has gone, uh, and, and keeping up with the latest therapies, right, in, in a meaningful way, because it's also overwhelming the amount of information coming online uh, right now. So pretty much it's also not to help them to have access to the information, but how to digest it with very, very limited time that they do have available to, to make it happen. So that's where technology as well, uh, in my opinion, can play a critical role how to digest very complex information uh, into uh, small pieces digestible that are really um, easy to, to keep up uh, in regular basis. Yeah, definitely. Definitely something around, you know, small bite-sized chunks. I think that was also something that, that Ros mentioned earlier as well. Um, we've, got, we've got another question from the, the audience, um, this time anonymous. Um, so don't worry, you don't have to give your name if, if you don't want to. Um, in terms of digital, what do you guys think would be the most relevant tactics to engage with HCPs in order to bring value? Um, I'll throw it out there, Ros um, or, or Mauricio, whoever wants to go first. Yes, I would just say similar to, to um, my previous comments, I think the remote engagement tactic, email, ta email and healthcare portal uh, as a start point for me would be some of the key tactics. Mauricio, for yourself, what's the key, key tactic to engage with HCPs in order to bring them lots of value? It depends, uh, in my opinion, a lot to, to what specific therapeutic area we are talking about. The needs are, in my opinion, normally slightly different that gonna also define the tactics. That way we spend a lot of time just to look into deep into what is the, the patient journey specifically and the ACP journey, right, in terms of need. Uh, but I agree as well that, you know, the the own media uh, and the ACP portal and, and the own media in terms of web are very relevant, um, things that also make uh, quite an impact uh, in some terms of webinars, 
again, addressing one of the needs that they have. Normally, HCPs having access to those key opinion leaders that can really share meaningful experience that they don't have necessarily access day to day. Um, that's where, you know, potentially the values come in online uh, because it's all about that, how we can really help them to achieve what they have to achieve. Um, and that way, you know, ATP are actually proactively uh, pulling that uh, resources, pulling out uh, those webinars uh, instead of us selling that or, or promoting that is kind of a more a, a pull from their side. Yeah, absolutely. Which kind of leads into the next question from Daniel. Um, from the audience. So thanks, Daniel, for your question. Um, he's asking around the key skills that we need to have as the professionals. Um, you know, what are, what are those key skills that we're looking for in terms of communicating complex messages? Um, you know, what, what are those key skills that we should be looking out for in, in our people? If I can share some thought on that is, 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 tough to see, okay, where the future role. Uh, reality is that the roles that we see today uh, haven't existed like 10 years ago, uh, but things that I personally uh, seen as essential is from the mindset perspective, having this agile mindset where we don't build just to last, uh, kind of things that are going to last forever or, or things that are going to take one year to be built, but we build uh, more based on minimal valuable product, things that we can experiment, getting feedback rapidly and adapt. Uh, starting by the basics that we don't know what we need uh, and pretty much we're going to find out together with, with the customer. That for me is one critical skills that is not a hard skill, it's more soft skill that really uh, should be embedded in the way that we drive uh, digital uh, because otherwise we might fall into false assumption doing a lot of effort and a lot of investment on areas that at the end are, are not delivering the expected value uh, and, and instead of taking those learning we pretty much build something that is, is based on those um, false assumptions and not delivering the value. Sure, preconceptions, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Ros, any particular key skills that we should be looking for in, in our profession in this new world? I guess I would uh, agree with what Maurizio said and, and really thinking about being able to operate in a test and learn environment where we get quick feedback, you know, and we're able to be flexible um, and, and, you know, move with the change of the needs of our customers definitely um, and on top of that for me it's all about um, someone that's a great communicator um, they've got tenacity and you know the basic skills like being well planned and organized hmm. yeah can't, can't avoid that gotta <laughs> <laughs> <Not to> be done <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've had some great questions from the audience and, and thanks so much both to you, Ros, and to you, Mauricio. Just to finish up and, and tie up, is there one last tip um, that you would give to anybody who's managing remote teams? Ros, I'll start with you. Oh, that's a huge question. One large tip. <laughs> one tip, one tip. You just threw it out there. <laughs> I think patience and support. You know, if you're managing a sales team that have just switched to remote, you, you have to be patient with them, but you have to give them a lot of support and encouragement. Like it. Mauricio, over to you. What's your one final tip? <laughs> well, my experience is that uh, agile methodology that we have discussed before is forcing us to be more humble, 
uh, putting ourselves on the shoes of the customer and both the skills, I think that makes really a more impactful interaction, right? And in the way that being humble, also uh, acknowledging that we don't know uh, upfront uh, and we pretty much gonna learn together. Uh, and that for me, really looking also on the data base uh, decision-making rather than purely assumption or preconception that we might have. So for me, that is a, a critical skill. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Both very, very fantastic, insightful information. So thank you so much. I think really when we talk about um, what we've learned here, mindset is a, is a massive one there and, and also patience and understanding. Um, I loved what Mauricio said in terms of um, being more humble as well. I think that's not just in the pharma industry. I think that is um, across everything that we're doing. I think where even calls that I've been making, you know, we've had people work, walking across the background, children coming in, all this type of stuff. And I think actually um, we've been able to, as a, as a nation, be able to come a little bit more humble and a little bit more humane stuff happens. And, and you know, there are children who might walk in on the call and that's okay. Um, so I think that's a really nice um, element that's come out from this as well. So thank you very much and we're going to move now to our second part of the webinar where I'm joined with um, Arpita and Sen. Arpita is, as I said, from um, VSL3 and has been working on um, the ferrying brand VSL3 um, along many other things and Sen from EMJ, the European Medical Journal. Um, so a big welcome to you both. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Um, Arpita, I mean, I'll, I'll start with you. Before COVID hit us, you were already working with a challenge in terms of change of audience. Tell us a little bit more about VSL3, the brand, the challenge, and what you were working on at the beginning of, of this year. Well, thank you, Jenny, for having me on the show. I mean, it's really uh, interesting to hear and listen from, uh, you know, people from the same industry because I just don't work on the consumer side but also on the healthcare professional side so I look after all the other uh, POMS brands uh, within UK um, uh, working on the strategy so it's been really interesting being here. Um, just, to, just to answer your question on BSL3, uh, I'll just give a little background and I don't know if everyone would know what the brand is. So the product is a probiotic, polybiotic product, we call it, uh, because we can't say probiotic, but it's uh, it's a very high potency uh, product, which has 450 billion bacteria across eight different strains. Um, so beginning of last year, when the brand was given to me, we lost our entire uh, market where we were marketing this product for 10 years. Uh, so we actually lost our prescription business because NHS had a saving plan, uh, which is why probiotics were coming off the prescription list. And then well, you have this whole new brand in front of you, which has been in the market for 10 years, but it hasn't been in front of an audience whom I was planning to, uh, you know, focus mm -hmm. So there was a huge question about sustaining the business after losing it. And also there was a question about how do you come in front of consumers uh, when you are such a medicinal product? And that, that was one of the biggest challenges. We lost the market. And then we lost the re from regulation. We lost the direct communication with our healthcare professional. And, and then we could see that, uh, you know, how would you approach this? Because 
the first thing you've lost what you were doing before. So we went ahead and looked at uh, data. We looked at Nelson's data, Mintel data, and uh, really wanted to understand what was happening with the vitamin and supplement market, what was happening with the mindset of the UK audience, and what was really happening within my probiotic market because probiotic uh, is a huge market, but it's a huge consumer market. So I had to also understand what was uh, happening in the probiotic market, which is non-consumer, non-yogurt. Uh, so what we really understood was that uh, supplement and uh, vitamin market was growing. Uh, and we were looking at, by 2023, we were looking at 477 million uh, forecasted market size. And then with Nelson's data, we also looked at probiotic market on its own was at 800 million. And non-yogurt market was growing at uh, 16% year on year. So there was a huge opportunity there. But that was just knowing the market, not doing anything about it. So we uh, we then worked on the brand voice, brand tone, and then brand strategy, really changing the whole mindset. And we needed specialized partners like you to come on board and just help us with the brainstorming and really bring the brand to life and speak the consumer language without losing the, you know, the uh, value of a prescription product, which it used to be. Because mm-hmm. it is a high-end uh, probiotic. So it, the price point is much higher than what you would buy on a supermarket. Yeah. To really sustain that business with consumer, it needed a different strategy. So that was really what was happening with the product. Yeah, really, really interesting and, and, and a big challenge. And then, of course, just as you were launching the new brand, um, we had um, COVID. So then we had... COVID then turned everybody into to house hermits because we couldn't leave. Um, how did that really affect the, the brand, the audience? What was the result of that? The, this brand, I mean, I think it's been the most interesting project of my life within my consulting career because, uh, you know, first you lose the market. Then you have COVID come along. And, uh, and, and there is another set of big challenge that I had. I could not use any claims, anything to market the product. So think about it. You can't use any wordings. You don't have the market. And and the COVID has come over. Like, you know, you just, you don't know what to do, right? So, uh, but it's interesting because every challenge has its own set of opportunities. Mm-hmm. In COVID, I realized that the consumer segment whom we call worried wells, uh, they are people, they are well, but they are worried. So that's how they take all these vitamin supplements. And I'm sure we all fall into some, some way or the other into that same category, right? So uh, these worried wells were actually changing in lockdown. So they were divided into many categories and I had to pick who are my consumers right now. So very quickly I realized that lockdown has created a consumer segment or mentality, which is called, uh, uh, you know, lockdown optimizers. And, uh, and we call them lockdown uh, indulges. And there are other categories where lockdown burnouts, for example, are healthcare professionals right now for frontline workers for you. Yeah. So uh, the interesting bit was to see and study that segment because uh, there, there were people who were really looking after themselves, following Joe Wicks and, you know, following influences, making sure that they are on top of their uh, fitness. But these were the people who were already into fitness. 
And uh, then we had, you know, the uh, the indulgers who were just binging and watching telly and eating and thinking about fitness, but not doing anything about it. So it kind of created or re <laughs> re-evaluated our communication strategy there uh, and the tone of voice. So that's what we did for lockdown. Really interesting. Really interesting. Um, and, a, and, a, and a big challenge, like you say, um, for all of these things to happen uh, one after the other. A big, a big set of uh, changes for you on your, on your career, really. Um, Sen, tell us a little bit about um, the new products that you launched during lockdown. I mean, tell us, tell us about that. What was the impact? Yeah, that's right. We've been really, really fortunate to have had some really productive months uh, during the pandemic, which is down to a mixture of hard work and agility by the team, I guess, but also naturally the market and the industry that we work in. Uh, but yes, we've, we've launched sponsored webinar and podcast offerings within a matter of weeks and are able to execute and deliver within a really short period of time. We were already players within the podcast world, which Arpita can confirm because we actually had her on as a guest not that long ago. Um, but I don't think you can start a podcast channel overnight but if you can brilliant um, but we haven't done the sponsored ones before so that was one of our launches and then as I mentioned webinars you know when we heard about all of the congress cancellations in particular uh, we knew that we had to help clients uh, which is the pharmaceutical industry for us and our audience HCPs continue the scientific dialogue and sharing of information um, and we thought that webinars would be a great way to engage with them and a way of doing that I guess um, and also helping them dissect various types of content and use that across various different channels so yeah podcasts and webinars have been the two main products that we've launched since lockdown and they've been a huge success for us so we've been very fortunate. Yeah that's fantastic and do you think that's something now that you're going to carry on with these products these new webinars and podcasts are here to stay or is it just a, a short-term thing or you're not sure yet? I guess we're not sure yet because we just have to wait and see to see how it goes but the uptake and the interest from the industry so far has been quite uh, significant and now that there is more of an understanding into how important it is to communicate with healthcare professionals virtually and digitally um, there's even more so of a push it's not new webinars and podcasts are not new they were there way before the pandemic and lockdown uh, but the speed and the uptake uh, and that has really happened since the beginning of this year has just accelerated massively um, so perhaps it will slow down but I think they are here to stay and, and people I guess the situation has just forced uh, the industry to understand the importance of them more so than before and um, I guess maybe there was a bit of apprehensiveness in the beginning as to whether they want to try it and uh, you know try out podcasts and webinars but now that they have the opportunity to do that um, and they're almost forced to do it to a certain extent they're a lot more comfortable with it going forward and therefore might be more open to considering it more consistently and make it part of a marketing strategy going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, it's kind of broken some of the myths that people have had around virtual conversations. And I think that links a little bit from the last panel as well. Actually, there's this preconception that people don't really want to do uh, video uh, engagement, yeah. conferences, webinars, but actually people are quite happy when you look into the data. They don't have to travel anywhere. Um, you know, they can do it from the comfort of their home. Um, you know, yeah. some of them have their pajamas on the bottom half of them <laughs> so you can be more comfortable not here though um so yeah absolutely i think it's really helped to kind of break a lot of the kind of misconceptions around um virtual engagement um Arbitar, in terms of your your channels i mean you 
you had to kind of think about ways of being able to connect with this new audience. Then COVID gave you new different segments of audiences. So you kind of had to then work out how to speak with those those people. You know, in terms of the different channels, um, the different audience segments, what are you using to, to get your message across? And how are you ensuring that you're keeping front of mind? That's a, that's a really good question. So uh, prior to COVID, we were completely multi-channel. Uh, so we used every channel and every channel was clearly connected to our digital. Uh, so that was quite good. And it was going really, really well. Um, so that was actually quite disrupted with uh, COVID. Uh, and I kind of lost, uh, I mean, we used to take part in a lot of wellness events, educating people that we are here, we are here to stay. And, you know, this is what the product does and the demos. We lost that uh, personal contact with our consumers directly because, you know, when somebody comes to a booth, they share their pain points and that's your first line of research, right? You really understand them over three or four days. You really understand the mindset. We lost we also did a great amount of award where we were sponsoring people, empowering our uh, pharmacist audience uh, before the kind of work they were doing. Um, and uh, we lost all of those offline events. Uh, right now, however, all of our offline events and, uh, you know, uh, tactics that we had planned is still going ahead, but it's happening digitally. Uh, so. Yes, it is happening digitally. So we have, uh, you know, uh, online presence everywhere our B2B and B2C customers are. So, you know, the focus of having B2B separate and B2C separate has become a little bit, uh, you know, uh, lighter because uh, they're all digital right now. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're working um, across the pharmaceutical industry for HCPs as well. How are you trying to get messages um, you know, across to, to HCPs? Have you noticed there's been a bit of a change in pharma directly in the way that they want to receive messages? And also, has that changed more so with COVID? Yes. Um, I mean, uh, from a healthcare professional perspective, uh, I have been within the pharma industry for last almost 10 years. Uh, and so I've seen the digital evolution. Um, mm -hmm. Within digital, I've been, you know, working in non-pharma since 2003. And Sen knows about this because we had this really good chat on our podcast. Uh, so, uh, yes, I've seen a huge shift. And with regards to COVID, I would say uh, we were prepared um, a bit. Um, and pharma as a whole, uh, I, I would say they have learned a lot. So instead of something that you would have planned for next five years, we've done that in three months. So that's how it has, uh, you know, the speed has happened. So anyone who is non-digital has also had to adapt and adopt. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed the conversation where we were talking about change management because oh, I worked on the change management process for two years before COVID hit us. So one week before COVID, I was prepared. Like I, I was like, my, my thing is prepared and it's there for you to use. So yeah, I mean, very fortunate that way. Uh, but uh, another big thing that comes up in digital communication with anyone, consumer, B2B, B2C, healthcare professional is consent. Uh, you be prepared with the channels, but if you don't have the consent, your hands are tied. Mm. Uh, so the, we we are creating new strategies of collecting our consent and making sure that we have that database with us 
uh, to be able to really segment, dissect, and really give them personalized communication that's needed because, you know, uh, healthcare digital communication has not been the way you do that in consumer market. So, absolutely, and I guess that kind of comes into a little bit of of, of your challenges as well, Sen. Um, in terms of the audience, of course. EMJ is, is, is online, is a digital um, publisher, but in terms of consent, cookies, GDPR, has that kind of affected the ways that you've been able to do messaging and, and marketing to your audience? Not massively, to be honest. So um, it was obviously when, when, when GDPR first came into place, I think it's been a couple of years now, there was a big push on that just to ensure that uh, our database is cleaned up and everyone that we have got as subscribers on there and people receiving all of our information um, are opted in uh, or opted out and they've got the right options there. So we did put a lot of time and effort into making sure that that's done. Um, and we do have a database of over half a million healthcare professionals. So we had to make sure that we really adhere to all the rules and, and it's all good. So um, yeah, it's not really been a challenge in particular recently uh, because we did put in all the groundwork to ensure that we were in a good position with it. Um, so now I wouldn't say that it's been a big challenge for us. Okay. What about um, future plans, um, Sen? What are, what's the sneak preview what's what's going on over there what's the future hold for emj um well without giving too much away uh, because we're still in the development phase uh, but we are working on a really exciting platform uh, which will aim to replicate the congress environment specifically the learning and the engagement aspect but using ai to maximize the benefits of that um so that's all i can give away for now but i guess one of the main challenges that we found with congress cancellations for the pharmaceutical industry because Congress is, is uh, a big part of pharmaceutical to HCP marketing plans and life cycles. Um, and we've kind of lost a certain element of that with some being postponed or going virtual. So we found out from our audience that one of the elements that they really miss about Congress is in being at Congress is it's the face-to-face and the networking element with their peers um, and partly the industry as well. So we're trying to basically create a platform to replicate that environment um, and to make sure that the scientific dialogue continues and there are more learning opportunities. Uh, but that's all I can give away for now. We're very close though, so you've got to keep your eyes peeled for that. Sounds, sounds good. Everybody's like thinking about that now. Um, that's 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 really true. We've got a um, a virtual platform where we can actually use three um, D photography from conference centres. So, for example, there's this massive conference centre in Las Vegas, which is beautiful with palm trees and all those types of things. Um, and so, we're able to actually have this virtual um, experience where people are able to kind of walk through that experience, see the palm trees, see the nice sunshine, walk into the conference center, be able to choose theater one, theater two, go through the door, see the the actual content being um, um, given, being able to ask questions um, as well, which which is super important, be able to have that interaction. But then afterwards as well, they can go to the networking lounge and you can have that kind of random interaction because like you say, that's the biggest thing that we miss. If we talk about a, a, a face-to-face event, you've got the ability to bump into someone, oh, hi, yeah, how are you doing? Um, and make those kind of new connections. Whereas in a, in a virtual world, it's, it's kind of very difficult. So we've got like a, a Russian roulette wheel to be able to connect with people based on personalities and things like that. So they can Brilliant. have that type of interaction. Um, which is which is really good. So that's that's all about the future there. But what what about yourself, Arbitral? What's 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 the future hold for DSL three for fairing? What's what's new? What's coming up? Well, that, that's that's an interesting one because um, 
I can't uh, share a lot about the product as such. Uh, but yes, I mean, we will try to keep that in the market, keep the noise going and uh, maybe look at widening the portfolio in the future uh, because a brand is in 40 different countries offering different things. So the portfolio is huge, but is it right for the UK market is what we need to, uh, you know, assess first before offering that. So Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I think that we've heard a lot around new things that are coming up, but also um, around some really challenging times um, where Sen, you guys were obviously able to adapt really quickly and be able to, to pivot as soon as the, the COVID came. And, and after to the same, being able to kind of look into those audience groups and start to segment them quite early in, it gave you the ability to be able to kind of change your messaging, which I think is, again, really, really important. So thank you to you both. Um, really great to hear from you. And thank you to everybody who tuned into the webinar. Um, as I said before, this will be um, available on YouTube afterwards. So you'll be able to share this or, or listen to us all again, um, either at your leisure on YouTube or on our podcast channel, The Talking Giraffe. Um, if you have got any other questions, I know um, that there is um, some more uh, questions that we have here, but um, we don't really have time for them now. But if you do have any other questions, please do feel free to shoot them over and I'll share them with the panelists and they can get back to you. Um, and if you have any feedback in terms of other things that you'd like to look at, um, feedback against the, this webinar or any others or any kind of ideas of topics that you'd like us to look at in the future, then please do let us know. Our next webinar in September is looking at um, the recruitment world. How has COVID impacted the ability to source new talent and what are brands doing um, to enable them to get more diverse pools of talent? We've got Pepsi um, joining us on that one. So please do uh, keep your ears and eyes peeled and let us know all your feedback. That leaves me just to say a really big thank you again to um, Sen, Arpita, Roz and Mauricio. Thanks for all of your insights and for your time. And we'll see you all again um, in a month's time. Have a great day. Thanks very much. <laughs>